Hello, Team Builder, and thank you so much for joining us today on Ask Michelle and Chris. We're here to answer your questions about team building so we can learn and grow together. I'm your host, Michelle Cummings of Training Wheels, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Cavert of Fun Doing and On Team Building. Let's go find out what we can answer for you today. Today's episode, we're going to look at the what, so what, now what debriefing model. A question came in and asked us if we can explain how to use this model in our facilitation work. Recently, I was able to do some digging on the origin of the what, so what, now model, and it was in uh, found in the book Reach, Touch, and Teach by Terry Borton. And the book came out in 1970, but the what model was developed in the mid-60s as a personal development tool. The teachers that were working with their students in the Philadelphia schools had reason to believe that they needed, these students needed a model to help them work through challenges and goals in their lives. So it was a personal, I would, if something happened to me, I would say, okay, what happened? What did I do in that moment, in that situation? So how did it, so what? So what is, was it good? Did I do it? Did I do it well? Do I need to change it? How did it affect the other people that I'm around? And then now what do I want to do? Do I want to, do I want to be able to do something different next time? Do I, do I want to keep it the same? It worked out pretty well. So it was more of a personal reflection tool to help people get better at something. And that's evolved now. Um, in, in we use that as use the model as team builders in different ways, and and we're gonna defer to Michelle on this one. She is a, a, a expert around using this model and has used it quite a lot in her career. She's gonna share with us how she got introduced to the model and then how she uses it. So I first heard about the what, so what, now what model in the book, Islands of Healing. The very first job I got out of graduate school was working at an organization that was more of a wilderness-based therapy program for troubled kids. One of my first weeks there on the job, this the Islands of Healing book was assigned reading for me that I needed to read it cover to cover. So that way I would be more equipped to work with uh, these kids that came in with a lot of different issues. So Jim Scholl, Dick Prouty, and Paul Radcliffe, they wrote the book Islands of Healing, published through Project Adventure, and that was my first introduction into adventure-based processing and debriefing, especially from a therapeutic point of view. And this was a book that really helped mold me and helped me understand the whole purpose behind why we were doing these team building and experiential activities or games with kids. And I fell in love with the amazing transformations that I would see in kids, not after just playing the games, but after really diving into the intent behind why we just did this, you know, first, what we learned from it, what happened, what was the point and why we did it in the first place. And then how does it relate back to the real world? Now, this was a wilderness-based program, so I didn't want to carry along around a lot of props and things like that with me. Plus, back in the 90s, there weren't as many props available as what there are today. So what I did was to really kind of train my brain into being thoughtful about the questions I was asking in any sort of processing or debriefing session, 
was I would use just my fingers on my leg and I would put my index finger in kind of like a number one or your pointer finger on my leg and just to help train my brain to stay in the what happened questioning so that I was naturally and thoughtfully walking my participants through that process of first what happened and then the so what or why is this important and then the now what how can we use this information? So I would stay in the one, put that number one on my leg, what happened, what happened, what happened? And then after I would get through a few questions of that, then I would throw the number two on my leg and two fingers on my leg. And there's like, all right, stay in the why. What is the purpose? Why do you think we just did what we did? Why would I surface, why would I do an activity that would surface this specific activity or this specific behavior? And then eventually then move to my third finger on my leg, which would be well, now what, how does this relate back to your relationship with your parents? How does this relate back to the behaviors and the choices that you were making back in the real world? And how can we use what we're learning here in our program to help you get back to the life and the things that you want back in the real world? And that's where I really found the magic and where kids were really understanding what we were doing and the why behind it. There were times I felt like, wow, if my processing session didn't go as I had planned or whatever, what else could I do to help me stay in that what, so what, now what process? So another thing I did was I got an index card and I was like, all right, what are the questions that I usually ask a group in the what happened? And I would jot down really tiny, right, really tiny on an index card, all the questions or, or at least my top five questions I would ask in the what happened. And then the same thing for the so what. And then the same thing for the now what? And then I laminated that card and that card went with me everywhere in my back pocket. And then while I was in the moment, if I was having kind of a, a fatigue day or I was really tired, I could still pull this out, arm my brain with a couple questions and stick it right back in my pro- in my pocket. My, the kids didn't even know what I was doing, but I found it really also was another tool that I kind of implemented to help me be successful in the moment with staying in that loop of the what, so what, and now what. And having information for yourself, especially if you're a new team builder, it's okay. I often carried around index cards mm-hmm. just as reminders. And then you kind of learn when to pull them out and, and read them while the group is working. They don't have to see you do that. But reminders are great. Mm-hmm. It, it helps the learning process helps your brain get used to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And now, now that I have training wheels, now that I design different tools and props and things like that, I've got one prop that I use now that I call processing gears. And it's, it's basically, it's a, it's a stress reliever foam puzzle that the puzzle pieces connect together. And I just wrote on the three different pieces of the puzzle, what, (laughs) so what, and now what? And so that's all it says on the puzzle piece. But what, how I use it with groups is now I've kind of taken the philosophy of me, the facilitator, being the only one that really understands what we're doing, walking a group through the what, so what, now what? But now I'm choosing to share with my participants, almost front-loading the debrief with like, okay, everybody, now we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what just happened, why it's important, and how it relates back to the real world. And because what I was finding is after you would do an activity and I would say, okay, everyone, let's sit down and let's talk about that. You would get the, oh God, right. You'd get like processing fatigue almost from your groups because, or like they didn't want to do it because it felt like it was that boring thing that we do after the fun stuff. But I find now that I really do go into the processing 
session or the debriefing session with a group with the intent to teach them why we're doing what we're doing. And I say, we're going to talk about what just happened, why this is important and how we can use this information, which those three things are the what, so what, and now what. Then with that little puzzle piece, um, processing gears puzzle, I now basically, I put the puzzle piece out on the floor or on the table in front of the group. I say, all right, we're going to talk about what happened. And you put it out there as a visual. So now the group kind of has an understanding. I'm like, okay, this is what happened. What I'm finding is that then it also somehow gives some sort of time structure. Like now the group knows how long we're going to be sitting and talking about this. Whereas before a processing session could go on forever. And that's maybe where they, you get that, Oh, this is so boring, you know, type of response because they didn't know how long we were going to do it. And then you pull out the second puzzle piece and you add that to the puzzle. And so now I think in participants' minds, they're like, oh, we're already two-thirds done when you're just starting it. But again, it's like, okay, we're two-thirds through the process. Now, what do you think is the point? Why do you think I just had you do an activity that focused on trust and leadership and how we communicate with one another? Then you you know field two or three questions on that. And then you pull in that third puzzle piece and you complete the puzzle, you know, adding it to it, letting them see the visual of it and say, all right, how can we use all this information that we just talked about? How can we relate it back to the real world? How can the things that we talked about or experienced here in this activity, how are they like what we do on in our team every single day back in the workplace or, yeah. or whatever type of group you're working with? And, and you're giving them an, in an educational perspective, you're giving them kind of a heads up of what's happening. It's not, they don't have to be anxious about a surprise or, or something they're, they're not expecting and they get caught off guard. This is where sometimes we retreat, our brains retreat. But if you're letting them know, Hey, this is what we're going to be doing. And then they have these visuals. Now they can really connect what you're doing to something that's important to their learning. And it's not a surprise. You're not springing an autumn at the end. So they're thinking about it ahead of time so they can respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. I like I like the visual mm-hmm. of it. I sometimes I just have index cards mm-hmm. uh, before your cool tool, uh, and I'll just I'll use the index cards if I think they need a visual, and I'll put it right in the middle. What? So what? Let's talk about the what. Yeah, and then the index cards are something easy to pull out. Yeah, and what I find now is that especially if you have the luxury of working with the same group for a long period of time. That then once we get down to processing an activity with them, I'll start out with what just happened. And then they start naturally walking themselves through the process, which ideally is what we want. Eventually, we want to be able to walk away from the group and then they have all the skills necessary to self-facilitate. That's a beautiful thing when you can get a group to do that. And I, and I think it, and we don't always do that on purpose, but it, that to me is the spirit of how that model started was to give individuals a tool that they can use in their own lives. And hopefully, and for me, it's always threes. Like if I go more than three, I tend to forget what that fourth one is, that fifth one. It's a nice, easy model for people to remember. And it's an easy one to use when you're starting to facilitate. Yeah. I think newer facilitators it's a great model to learn initially. Seasoned facilitators, it's still one that I use and I've been facilitating for a couple decades now. So it's one of those that I think it's really part of the origin and roots of experiential adventure-based activities and work. 
So it's one that is very relevant and very impactful for your participants. It, it just works. So when you talked about the model, you explained how you use it as a st- one step at a time process. You kind of stick with one part at a time. You'll talk about all the what's that kind of the group remembers. You kind of put those all on the table. And then you explore the so what of those things that you talked about. And then the now what, you know, you've, so you're, you were using in a sense, multiple things that you kind of touched and you went through each step. Is that kind of... Yeah, I think I use it it? two different ways now that I hear you describing it. I think there's times where I kind of categorize first, you ask all the what questions, then you ask all the so what's, and then I'll ask all the now what's. However, I think I also use it where I'll ask one question around, you know, give me an example of of how leadership was used in this last activity. What do you think is the point of that? And then how could, how does that relate back to the real world? So you could even use it, you start on one topic, walk through all three of the different sections of the model, and then start back over with what happened. So you could use it both ways. It, it just, again, it kind of depends on what type of group you're working with and what the desired outcomes are. Yeah. Oftentimes for me, it's I start with the, the what, and then when they hit upon one of their objectives or their outcomes that were that they said or someone else set for them then i may take that one and explore down the line mm. so it's emphasizing something we've been working on all day not not to necessarily de-emphasize the other things that came up because those are important for a group i want i do want to at times really ingrain their outcomes so i can mm-hmm. say well we really did talk about this and they got this from it and this model also finds out what else they got out of it. And then you can say, well, these are the things that were that they brought up. These are the things we might want to explore at another time or things you might want to explore in your classroom or in your business meetings, because this was at the forefront of their mind. That's what I like about this model, because it, it brings up more than we might expect. Yeah. I know that Mari Reddy and Micah Jacobson also took that same concept of the what, so what, now what, but put it into a five question model that asks a series of open and closed questions to really get from the what, so what, now what process in five questions. I know that you've worked with them before. Uh, Do you want to explain that model a little bit? Yeah, their their book is called Open to Outcome. And it, it kind of, it's fun because it contradicts some of the people that are in the field about using closed ended questions or closed questions, they use those as prompts. You know, you know, did you notice something? Did you notice that only half of the group uh, were talking? They Half of them were talking and the other half was, was quiet. Did you, anybody notice that? So you find out if they noticed it. And if so, then you, then you would ask, why do you think that happened? And what I, another contradictory part of this model is a lot of people don't ask why questions, but it, it depends on how you ask the why question. If you're asking why to understand versus accusing someone of why did you do that, if we, why do you think someone would do something like that? Why do you think only half the group was talking? We don't have to point anybody out. So it, it walks you through a series of, did you, did this happen? Yes or no? Why do you think this happened? Does this happen in your life, your school or your family? Why do you think it happens there? So now we're transferring to the so what and 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 then 
The now what is how are you going to use this information? Give me some examples of how you've seen this before, how you've seen other people handle it. What is it like for you? And then, you know, what do you want to do with all this stuff you just heard about? So it's a cool way to expand. I never even thought about it that way. It's a cool way to expand on this model is to is with more specific questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I love it. I've experimented with that five question model often. Um, and I, there was one time I had to step out of a room for not very long in a group. And when I came back in, you could tell something had happened. I don't know what it was. Still to this day, I don't know what it was. But I thought, I'm going to test out this five question model and see if I can surface <laughs> what it was that happened. And so when I came back in, we, and after, you know, we, the activity was over and we sat down, I was like, all right, uh, did anyone notice any odd behaviors, you know, kind of pop out in the group? And, you know, you could kind of see some of the, the little looks and the side glances and things like that. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of nodded head, head nods and things like that. I'm like, I'm like, well, well, what were a couple of them? Some of some of the otter behaviors that maybe popped up in this. And so there were a couple that surfaced. And I was like, well, why do you think that happened? You know, so going to that second question, why do you mm-hmm. think that happened? Well, because you stepped out of the room and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and it, and it surfaced in that, in the, in the session. And so I was like, well, does that happen out in the real world? You know? And then we're like, yeah, it happens all the time or whatever. And I'm like, well, why do you think that happens? Why does it, as soon as there's not the rule enforcer or whatever in the room, why do you think those things happen? Well, because we get lax, we feel like we can get away with things, you know, whatever. It's like, well, how can we use this information then to help us as a group? If we know that when the, what seems like the quote unquote rule enforcer is not around, how, how can we use that as our group to still, can we use it as a behavior behavioral tool for us. Can we set some norms or goals around what's acceptable behavior when they're around, what's acceptable behavior when they're not around? And and I'm going to put that on you, you know, as the group, because it's up to you. Because some people right now are probably feeling okay with what happened. And some people are like, oh, that didn't feel very good. Right. And so again, wanting to make sure that we're all taking care of the group from a, from a emotional standpoint, behavioral standpoint, all those things. How can we as a group create those cultural norms, if you will. So, so anyway, it's, it's a fun one to kind of test out and, and play around with a little bit. Yeah. It's a great example of how this model, you know, started back in the mid sixties, has expanded and, and grown and evolved in different ways and in different fields. A lot of different fields use this model to discover things about whatever it is that they're doing. Just do a search for what, so what, now what model, and you're going to find, look for the images, go to the images and see how this model has been integrated in all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I hope that explains a little bit more in depth on how we use the what, so what, now what debriefing model, and even how it has evolved for not only myself, but for other facilitators as well over time, going from how we originally were exposed to the model to now all the different places that it has gone since its original inception. Thanks so much for listening. If you have additional answers or comments about this question, please send them our way. And if you have a question you'd like us to tackle, we would love to hear it. You can find the submission link and anything we discussed in today's episode in the show notes. Find the show notes and past episodes at onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. That's onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. 
You can find me and sign up for my newsletter at training-wheels.com. You can sign up for my Fun Doing Fridays activity email and find me at onteambuilding.com. We hope you join us next week for Ask Michelle and Chris about team building.